Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. All right, welcome. It is Wednesday, March 10th, the Ohioan. We're back. And speaking of days, Craig, I got to tell you, I don't know if I'm getting old, if I'm getting senile, if I'm losing all my brain cells or whatever. The past week, I have either woken up or halfway during the day have lost total concept of what day it is. (laughs) Like if it's a Sunday, a Monday, a Tuesday. I don't know. Is that a sign of anything? I mean, you're a journalist, but, you know, hey... You can be an armchair psychologist. Am I losing my mind, or what's going on? Well, I don't know. It's uh, I think everybody's probably losing their mind to some degree the way the the world is these days. But uh, I get that too, where I'm like thinking, like, what day is it? Or you know, hoping it's the weekend when it's like only Friday night. I'm hoping for the next weekend already. So yeah, I think we're all we're all kind of having those issues maybe these days. Yeah. I- I was. I needed to call my sister. There's something small going on in our family, and I literally walked downstairs because uh, we had we have a home health care worker with one of our kids. I guess I'll put it that way. And I wanted to kind of a little bit of privacy, and I went up and I was like, "Honey, what day it is?" And she's like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "I don't know. Is it Tuesday? Is it Wednesday? Is it Thursday?" I, geez, I had no idea. It was just crazy. But, hey, we're here. I got the day right. I double-checked with four <laughs> different places. It is Wednesday, and we're here. Uh, it's the Ohio win. Um Got Craig. Um, Brandon's going to be out for the week. Some family stuff going on. Um, and, and keep him in your thoughts, and it'll be good. Um, so, we're here. Sorry, it has been <laughs> – it's, it's already been a week, Craig. We're, losing, we're both losing our minds. It's been yeah. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about the news of the day. Um, you know, hey, we're back to COVID. We're still there. Uh, we're, we're hearing some more good news. It's been good for COVID, but COVID's still here, and we're, we still need to fight and be safe. But the governor made a announcement yesterday, and it sounded like uh, the movie Footloose a little bit. Uh, but he said, hey, dancing is allowed. Um, you think about all this stuff that was prohibited because we're so close to people and everything else. Well, one of the things was, hey, you really shouldn't dance at weddings. Uh, you, you shouldn't have proms, other stuff like that. Well, in our reporting at the Columbus Dispatch of what's allowed and what's not, 
it sounded like dancing was allowed, but no one really confirmed it. Uh, so our reporters uh, checked with the office, and we got confirmed. Hey, you can dance. And it, it sparked a bunch of funny social media memes uh, on Footloose and Dirty Dancing, all these other places where they say, hey, you can dance now. Um, it's interesting, Craig. I, I am not a dancer. Yeah, when I dance, my wife laughs at me, so I don't think you're going to see me out there dancing. But I look at it more broadly as, hey, it's another step. The war's not over. We're, we're still continuing to fight. But, hey, it's it's a step in the right direction. Well, in addition to that, you know, the, the, the March 2nd health orders lifted the 300-person capacity limit for banquet halls. So, you know, obviously that kind of coincides with the ability to dance and everything. But... You know, those are two kind of huge, you know, really huge steps in this process of, I guess, getting back to normal. I, I don't like I'm still kind of skeptical about all this because I don't I don't want to move too fast. I don't want to be like what Texas and Mississippi are doing, where, you know, it's this the wild, wild west again, where everything goes. You can do whatever you want now, basically. And no, no mask, no whatever. Um, you know, now there are Republican lawmakers that are calling for DeWine to lift the mask mandate immediately, even though he's said that he would like to wait and see those numbers <clears throat> down even more. Um, but, you know, you, you wonder if the numbers are going to drive down more when you have banquet halls open, you have wedding receptions that you can have, proms, dances, things like that, parties. It, it, I mean, this essentially is allowing parties now. So, you know, you just kind of wonder if uh, if the numbers are going to, you know, maybe uptick a little bit because of this. Well, I kind of wondered, too. And, and, yeah, hey, for the sake of the podcast, it is a step in the right direction. But I I, I don't want to see these announcements coming every day. What if you just said every week? You know what I mean? Or maybe in one of his press conferences, you know, with the governor, you could say, hey, we had a good week, so let's dip our toe further in the ocean and see if more could help. I mean, it sounded like, you know, Monday we had anybody 50 and up could not get the vaccine. You know, Tuesday, and again, it wasn't that the governor announced it. It was just the dispatch, the Cincinnati Inquirer, confirmed something that wasn't clear from Monday's press conference. So it's not like the governor's just announcing things every day willy-nilly. But what I'm saying is, Let's dip our toe in. Let's don't dip in real fast. You know, let's start. Let's start <laughs> gradually doing it in and seeing what happens because of that. So if we say, "Hey, this is okay now," wait a couple days, make sure it's okay. Then you know, see what the the bounce back is off it. But but you never know. I mean, the hard thing is like these banquets. You know, we're not going to weddings every weekend, and you know. Think back to how the virus works. I mean, if you get it today, it you may not really have the signs of it for two weeks right. afterwards. So it, it, it's tough. Yeah, I'm with you. Let's just don't do it too quick. Yeah. Let's kind of see what's happening. I, I think the vaccines. I mean, the vaccines have really helped. Uh, the fact that we went down to 50 and up now, it's telling me that there's more vaccines coming. Yeah. Uh, Alaska, I, I think I mentioned this yesterday, I didn't know what state it was, Alaska saying right now, if you're 16 or up, you can get the vaccine, which is telling okay. me that, hey, these vaccines are more available now. And presumably, the more um, vaccines are out there, it's going to help you know, slow the spread of COVID. Now, they're saying that in Ohio, there's more people that have this variant, and nobody knows if the variant is being, you know, totally covered by COVID. So 
there's another thing to worry about. So, yeah, I, I know. I look back to Craig. I think it's a war. Um, you know, think back to World War II. You know, it went on for years, and we didn't have a immediate win. There was some days that U.S. did great in the war. There's some days U.S. did bad in the war. Yeah. So I think we got to look at it like that. And we're all anxious for it to be over. We're all anxious to say, "Hey, let's talk about something else." But I think it's it's a war, and I. I'm encouraged because I think over the past couple of weeks we've had a little bit more wins and losses, but it's a war that's still going on, and we got to keep fighting and being safe, I guess. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you, and, and you know, this has sort of been on my mind for a while with with COVID in general, but you know, we go, we have these like age tiers where you start from you know 85 and up, and then you're at 75 and up, and then you're at 65 and up. Now we're at 50 and up. I know that not everybody wants the vaccine, and I know not everybody has gotten the vaccine in those upper age limits. Do you do you feel like we should make sure that everybody is inoculated at 75 or 65 and up before we go down even further? Because now we're adding more, you know, more people to the pot. I think it's like a, what another two million Ohioans now. But, you know, remember when we when we rolled this out, a lot of it was because, you know, the elderly are dying from the, the virus more frequently. They're getting sicker from the virus in, in, in greater numbers. So my question was, was why are we, you know, adding more names into the pot that might stunt the ability for some 75 or 85 or 65 year old person to get the virus, the vaccine now that we have another, uh, you know, 50 year olds and, you know, and other people that are now eligible. Does that kind of make sense? I mean, do you, do you kind of see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. In theory. Yeah. It'd be nice to make sure that the elderly, elderly get that vaccine first, but then you get into what everybody is fearful of, of saying, Oh, you can't force, you know, you know, vaccines, or you can't, you know, mandate them, or anything right. else like that. Yeah, yeah. That's not where I'm at with it. My my question is this: like, if there's, I I got a call from a reader who's 67, and he was a little unsettled that all the teachers, you know, I covered this big teacher clinic vaccine that more than a thousand educators in Sandusky County were, you know, vaccinated in one day. And he's 67. He owns a small business. And he would love to be able to get the vaccine at age 67, but he hasn't gotten called yet. You know, he's on the list, but he hasn't gotten called yet. And he'd love to be able to offer it to his employees. You know, obviously, if you're a small business and he's, you know, one of these small businesses that goes in and out of homes. But, you know, he's like, well, these, you know, the teachers have jumped the line and other people have jumped the line first, which is, you know, understandable to some degree. But his his question was, you know, you know, he's 67. When is when is it his turn? And. You know, all we've been told is, well, it depends on when you've signed up and, you know, what, how low on the list you are. But, you know, I, when I talked to an epidemiologist in Sandusky County, they had said that, you know, that's how it goes. It goes by when you signed up, who signed up first. But then you add in these new age groups and it, it also incorporates them into the vaccine, which means those first people that signed up are going to take the spots of people in the yeah. you know, 65 and up range that maybe signed up later in the, in the process. So, you know, I, I guess if we were making the, the argument that, well, we need to do these people first, we need to inoculate these older people first. Why aren't we making sure that every 75 year old who wants the vaccine, I'm not saying force every 75 year old to get the vaccine. I'm just asking if there is 8 million people 
and five million people are, you know, 65 and older, 75 and older, make sure that every one of those people have the vaccine first and then start going down the list because you've already made the, the argument that they need the vaccine first because they're dying and getting getting sicker at higher rates. Well, and I think that's why DeWine in his press conference said, hey, you know, here's your chance. You've got that exclusive first chance. Right. Sign up, you know. Um, <clears throat> because I think the hard thing would be is everyone is at some type of a risk. I mean, I'm not in bad health, but I'm not the most fittest person. So I guess my fear always was, hey, if I ever got it, I might be just because, you know, I'm not in tip-top shape. Am I more likely to have, you know, to have these horrible effects? Now, it may not be true. Maybe I get COVID and I'm fine. But I always get nervous about that. Well, so I guess my argument would be, hey, if it comes to my time and I sign up, why do I have to wait for somebody that had six chances that haven't hasn't done it yet? You know what I mean? Um, so I, I think, and, and that's the one thing I got to be mindful of. Hey, I, I I'm pretty busy during the week. I, I'm not excited about having to wait in line for an hour or two for a, a vaccine. But if I really want the vaccine when it becomes available to me, I, I need to sign up. Um, so I, I mean. In this case of your reader, did they sign up right away, or what was their situation? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, they did. It, they were they signed up when they found out they were eligible to sign up, and you know, obviously, you have no idea how how quick other people signed up in their age group, or you know, or, or whatever. And also, too, I think we got to realize that you know, 75, 85 year old people and above. You know, they may not be as internet savvy. They may not have the internet. They may not have a computer. They may not know the phone numbers to call to sign up. It may take a family member finally saying, oh, hey, by the way, do you want the vaccine? So they may be late to the party. And I'm not saying that they don't, you know, they can't wait their turn. It's just, you know, we made, we had this big emphasis on the elderly needing it more than anybody because they're dying at a much higher rate than any other age group. And they're getting sicker, and they're going to the hospital for it in a much, you know, larger to a larger degree. So why not make sure that every Ohioan that's age seventy five and older has the, that ha- that wants the vaccine gets the vaccine, and and not let seventy five year old people wait on a list until it's sort of their time. You know what I mean? So you're saying that okay? So the news of the week is hey, on Thursday, if you're fifty or up, you're eligible for the vaccine. And if there's, there's other health conditions, like you can have type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and so right. on. So you're saying that, like, on that Thursday morning, if Joe Schmo, the 50-year-old from Finley or wherever he lives at, signs up, and the 70-year-old guy signs up, the 70-year-old guy would get party. I would think they should. I mean, I'm not – like, I'm not saying that – you know, the 50-year-old should just wait and wait and wait. And I, and I do agree that I'm glad that they put these pre-existing health conditions in there, too, to allow for people that, you know, that may have a, a, a disease or some sort of a condition that, even though they're not 50 years old, it lets them jump into the list, too. But, you know, you know like we said, from the get-go, when the virus, you know, when the vaccine was, you know, being doled out, you know, the governor made mention that we need to get these elderly people vaccinated first because of the risk that's involved with them. And I just feel like if you're a healthy 50-year-old, you know, should a healthy 50-year-old get the vaccine because they signed up first before, 
a healthy 75-year-old when we're told that we need to inoculate the elderly first. And I'm not saying a 50-year-old person doesn't deserve it. It's just, right. should we should we continue adding people to the group that's only going to stretch out some of the wait times? You know, when I was talking to the gentleman about the, uh, the vaccine, he said, hey, you know, we're getting 400 a week in Sandusky County between the health departments and the, the hospitals that are doing it and some of the um, you know, pharmacies that are, you know, doling out. So that's 400 a week. And they had, you know, somewhere at that time, about 8,000 people that have signed up for it in the age groups that were eligible. That was just at that time. That was well before the 50-year-old age limit. And, you know, he said, you know, he could be, and he could be waiting until July before he gets a vaccine if they, you know, only continue getting 400 a week. Now, hopefully that's not going to be the case, but, you know, he did the math and he thought, you know, there's still thousands of people that have not been vaccinated yet. Where does that sort of leave me when they're only getting about 400 a week or, you know, so. Well, I'll be honest with you. Maybe that's where, you know, Craig, you make an appearance on DeWine's, you know, <laughs> press conference. But seriously, because I, I think the messaging that we're getting is, hey, there's more vaccine available. That's why. Alaska. I mean, and I know Alaska doesn't have the population of other states, but still, I mean, hey, when you hear Alaska, anybody 16 and up can get the vaccine. I mean, that that's, to me, that's a sign that there's vaccine available. And, you know, the messaging I've heard, especially from places like Ohio, not everybody's choosing to get the vaccine either. So, I mean, I'm, right. kind, I'm kind of wondering... Uh, like we did a story, the Schottenstein Center um, here at Ohio State University, uh, where the basketball teams play. Um, they have clinics, and uh, one of our reporters got his own vaccine there, and he was talking about, "Hey, it's there's not many people there. I mean, it's pretty available. You go in, it gets done, and you come out." Um, you know, that might be a story. I mean, you know, in case you don't know, Craig's a reporter up with the Fremont News Messenger up in Fremont, Ohio. And, you know, if you're not getting as many vaccines up where you're at in Sandusky County, that might be worth a question because it seems like maybe some of the more populous areas have more of a readily available vaccines. I mean, it's not like Columbus has tons and tons and tons of extra vaccines, but right. I don't hear that as much in Columbus as vaccines being an issue. And, you know, that might be a question, honestly, yeah. you know, well, to ask. And I, and I, you know, in talking to, I, you know, I talked to the sheriff up here because obviously police and fire and child care workers are now eligible under this new phase. And I know that um, the sheriff told me that he was going to be getting the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. So I'm not sure if like the, you know, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine helps expand you know, their rollout and allows them to do these extra people. Um, but again, you know, it, the the health department, you know, we talk to the health department a lot and sometimes they don't know how many vaccines they're going to get until the day before they get them essentially, or maybe a couple of days before they get them. And generally speaking, they've been getting about a hundred per site, you know, every week and they schedule their vaccination clinic and they, you know, they have, larger areas for when they need to do larger scale stuff. But, you know, it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of um, information out there about how many vaccines we're getting. And if we're getting more vaccines than we were three weeks ago, four weeks ago, whatever it may be when, you know, when they were still kind of in the infancy stage. But, you know, 
I know the governor says that we're rolling it out and it's getting out there. We get what we get from the federal government. We get that. But, you know, I don't know if there's been any changes. You know, what we keep being told, it's 400 a week usually. Uh, but sometimes it can vary a little bit. Um, sometimes the health department gets 100. Sometimes they get 200 in a week, you know. But it just seems like, you know, we're adding more people. But are we really getting more vaccine as well? Well, I mean, it's an unanswered question. And honestly, I would even, I, I mean, seriously, I, I think, you know, we do this on time, but, you know, for work, I mean, that's a great question. Maybe start off by talking to the state house reporters and just make sure that, yeah, we haven't missed any reporting on that. Uh, but if they, and even if they've had written about it, you can probably write a story um, with their reporting, you know, and if that question hasn't been answered, right. yeah, I mean, it's definitely worth a call to Ohio Health Department or, if you want, you can make seriously. You, you can make your first appearance on the wine <laughs> press conference. I, I put the liar, man, Craig. I mean, that's that's my dream. Yeah. Well, so. I don't even know how you would go about getting on there. You know, I mean, I don't know if you have to have a golden ticket like Willy Wonka on the Chocolate Factory, or well, well you got to talk to your friend Dan Tierney. I mean, we're talking yeah. to Dan about the possibility of coming on the show. Yeah, uh, it would be fun to have him. And hey, you got to work your magic. But I mean, regardless, if you're on the press conference. I mean, I think it's a great question for the health department because I don't know. I mean, I, and honestly, we touch a lot of our reporting for the week. Um, I, I got to be honest, I focus more on the urban because that's where I'm living at. So mm -hmm. in terms of getting the proper information to the, the families and everything. But, hey, Damn. it's a good point. I, I think it's a good question. And get back to us because, I mean, it sounds like it's a big issue up in Sandusky County. And I'll be interested, too. Uh, maybe I missed that part of reporting. I'm not sure if that's been a problem in Franklin County. Right. Um, I, I would think in Franklin County that between the vaccines available and the people who don't want them, that if, like, you know, I'm 46. Uh, right now the age is 50 or up. I would imagine that the next time they drop the age, it'll be my time. So if yeah. I go pick a vaccine or I say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to get one, I don't think I'll be shut out. But it'd be interesting to say, would I have to wait based on the availability for people who signed up? I yeah. never heard that being a problem, Franklin. I may miss the reporting. Uh, because like I said, I think there's a more re readily supply of it, for one. And two, okay. I still think there's a friend of people who just won't get it for any reason they specify. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good knows? question. Something yeah. you should report about. Yeah, who knows what the, the split is. You know, I mean, I've talked to police departments. They say maybe a 50% of the people want it. You know, I think, you know, the schools could be anywhere between 50 and maybe 75% of their staff. But yeah, we know that there are people that are not going to get it or don't want it. And that's fine. That's their, that's their prerogative. But, you know, I just kind of wonder, you know, I don't know what, and I don't know how the distribution of the vaccine really goes. I don't know if they say Franklin County, you get you know, a huge percentage of the supply because you have more people to inoculate, which makes more sense, obviously, to some degree. But, you know, I don't know if they're a, a shot for every arm or like they, you know, like everybody wants to be. Everybody wants to have a shot for every arm that wants it. But in Sadusky County, that's not the case. Um, if, you know, if you're getting 400 a week or so, or even if you're getting 600 a week, there are still a few thousand people that have not been vaccinated yet that still want it. So that are in these age groups that have, you know, eligible, the eligibility has allowed them to sign up and they're just kind of waiting for the shot. I don't know if they're, you know, bigger, bigger cities and counties like Franklin County or Cuyahoga or Lucas or Hamilton. I don't know that they 
don't have a shot for every arm or if they're like every other county in Ohio where they have, you know, one shot for every 20 arms or 10 arms or whatever it may be. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, seriously, Craig, it's a great question. I, I think it's a question you should ask, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what the answer is. So very good. Um, yeah, it, it will be on. Like I said, Craig, not brushing off. I mean, I think it's a great question that our listeners want to hear as well as our readers, you know, in Gannett. So, yeah, it should be interesting. Let's see what you find out, Craig. How about that? Definitely. <laughs> and, and credit uh, Craig's boss, Dave Yonke, credit, credit us if he loves the idea, you know? <laughs> <laughs> be sure you say, hey, we have this out on the Ohio podcast. Be right, yeah, we, we, you heard it here first. All right, well, let's continue on. Um, we talked about this the other week, and I still – have been barred from the Columbus Zoo, but it may change. Who knows? Um, update. You know, we were talking uh, Columbus Zoo, kind of what the issue is there. Um, present CEO, another leader of the zoo, they were using some properties that were recently bought in, in the past, like, five, ten years by the zoo. Uh, some family were, were living on those properties, and there were some questions being raised because, again, the zoo takes, and I saw the other day, 20% of its budget from the public in terms of taxpayer dollars. So it's kind of like a private-public partnership. Uh, and there's some ethical questions being raised. Is that right? I mean, should they use that money that way? Also, and this kind of made me scratch my head a little bit too, um, when I first read the story, they were talking about tickets. Um, are they using tickets the proper way? And I just assumed it was giving away zoo tickets. But no, that's not the case. I mean, the zoo had suites at you know, Buckeyes games. The zoo had suites at Columbus Blue Jackets games. And, you know, it raised some questions, too, saying, should that money be used to buy tickets for other stuff? And granted, there is a marketing sense of that. There is a partnership sense of that. You know, why companies have suites is to help, you know, partnerships, is to help do business. Um, during my time in marketing, um, I, I worked for a place that, we had suites. I mean, I, I was up to Indians games in a suite. I was up to um, suites at um, Rocket Fire. Uh, what, what's that place called? I can't remember what they renamed Gundry into. Oh, Rocket Mortgage. Yeah, Arena yeah. or whatever it's called. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I was at Events Area Suite. And, yeah, we were there to enjoy ourselves. But a lot of times when you do it for a company, hey, you're expected to make deals there and all this other stuff. But still it raises questions going Okay, but our taxpayer dollars are our taxpayer dollars being used for that. Is that right or not? Well, uh, dispatch a follow up of the reporting yesterday with a story, and it was talking about how hey, the Ohio Ethics Commission might be involved. Um, they're looking at it, they're saying, hey, is this something that we should consider? I know from the original reporting from a dispatch, I know the board was concerned, and when I say the board, the board of the zoo that was looking into it. Uh, but it, be, it becomes a whole separate issue, obviously, if the Ohio Ethics Commission gets involved, too. Um, Craig, I, we're just guessing. I, I'm wondering where this is going to end up. Yeah, I mean, I know we talked about this the other day, and, and we don't know the how the financials work with the Columbus Zoo. But when you're talking about an entity that's considered non, a nonprofit organization that does collect taxpayer dollars from a levy, I, I just feel like, they probably shouldn't have, you know, suites at arenas or stadiums to begin with. 
if they have it through partnerships or whatever it may be, then so be it. But you're really opening up a huge can of worms when you start doing things that private businesses do, which are, you know, buy suites and get tickets and give away tickets. And, you know, and, you know, some of the things that they were talking about, you know, in the previous story too, was, you know, these, these people are, you know, giving tickets away to certain people. And, and again, that's, that's probably an ethical violation of, you know, just providing someone with an advantage over someone else that, you know, if they want to buy a ticket for a concert or whatever it may be that they don't have access to now. And that's part of the whole process of, you know, this is funded some somewhat by taxpayer dollars. And it's, it's, I think it's almost either you need to completely consider yourself sort of a, a public business or you need to forego the, the tax money and be a private business and then you can kind of do what you please but when you're starting to add in even just a little bit and 20 almost 20 million dollars is not a little bit when you're talking about more than 20 percent of the budget but it's hard to have an 80 20 split and say well 80 percent of us is private and 20 percent of us isn't private i don't it just i don't think it works that way and i wouldn't be shocked if they at least investigate this and and try to find find out whether or not you know, this could be the, the start of, of determining whether or not the, the Columbus Zoo, it, it's too murky or, or, you know, just right for them to have a private and sort of public business side. And, you know, maybe this will be a, a way of, of sort of uncovering, you know, whether or not it can be private or all private or all public or but a little bit of both. I don't know. Here's how I look at it. And yeah, I... We talked about this the other day, and I'm sure there's a segment of the population our listeners are going, "Why are you ripping on Jack Hanna? Yeah, you know, lay off Jack. Yeah, you know, leave Jack Hanna alone. You know, leave the zoo alone." Yeah, hey, I love the zoo. I'm I'm looking forward. Uh, we're not. My family doesn't like walking around in the cold, but you know, hey, the weather's getting great. I mean, it's 50 and up for the next couple of weeks, so I mean, we may make our first appearance at the zoo before long. I, we love the zoo. It's great. I, I get a little skeeved out at the financials <laughs> from what we've been reading over the past week. Let's make it easier, Craig. I mean, what, let's resolve this right now. How about if we just say, hey, take the public-private out of it. If it's 20% of the budget, let's raise tickets 20%. Because, hey, it's about 15 bucks to get in the zoo. Give or take a little bit. Okay. Let's estimate the ticket prices. If you had twenty percent, it's eighteen bucks. Which hey, that's a little bit more, but it's not life changing. You know what I mean? Now the argument that the zoo would make is because of the pandemic. There's been way fewer people coming, so they're like, okay, what if can like I think about like the Indians when they want to build a new stadium. Often, you know, you'll go to the public. You'll say, hey, we're going to do this bond issue where if you pass it, it's going to give us X amount of dollars where we can build a new stadium. Now, the zoo and levies, that's a sort of subject because I don't know if you remember, in the past, like, 10 years, the zoo wanted to have, like, a downtown location. Not moving the whole zoo, but just kind of like a branch where downtown you could see some animals and other stuff like that. Well, they had levy and it actually failed. But what I'm saying is you can start to have bond issues for major improvements that you want to do. Uh, yeah, it's murky. 
I know the zoo would hate it because anytime you go to a, a levy, you know, it may not pass. But what I'm saying is, you take away all this crap, then they can run their business how they want. Um, yeah, they are, you know, they've got to report back to the public when it comes to levy time. But, you know, the media is off their backs and everything else. I, to me, it just makes too much sense. I know why it won't happen, but to me, it sounds like that would be an easy solution. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the first thing you'd think of is to raise prices and, you know, you'd be able to, I guess, avoid having the, you know, the the need for a levy. But honestly, though, I mean, they, you know, they clearly have a levy. And, I, you know, I, I'm looking at it, too, now. The Toledo Zoo also has a levy. Uh, that they get some about like six million dollars or so per year through a tax levy, but um, you know they they obviously have a levy because it helps them maybe subsidize the the, the contributions that maybe they don't see if it you know the winter time maybe it slows down or maybe during the, the the fall or the spring or something where maybe it's just not the best weather you know or rains or whatever you know I'm sure that I'm sure this money really really helps them do uh, you know some of the ancillary things i'm sure it doesn't do a lot of the big stuff that they do but it, it just it muddies the water so much that you you know you wonder you know what else is going on right i mean that's your first inclination is when you hear of something as simple as someone renting a home to someone or giving you know zoo tickets or you know executive suites or you know whatever it may be to to people you kind of wonder if there's anything else going on. I mean, I'm not trying to accuse the zoo of anything, you know, wrongdoing, but that's your first inclination is, well, what else is happening? If they're, if they're willing to cut a corner by renting a home to a family, you know, a family member under the guise that, oh, well, they're going to get some stuff done and we're going to be able to resell this property for even more profit. I get that. But at the same time, you just kind of wonder what else is happening? Is there anything else going on? that that could be a little bit shady as well and maybe not just this you know this ticket stuff or the executive boxes things like that it could maybe something deeper well and i'll give this a bit of credit maybe it's not that but one thing is anytime you take public dollars you get scrutiny that you wouldn't get if if you don't take public dollars right and, and again, the zoo's wonderful. I don't want to take the zoo away. I don't want the zoo to pare itself down. I'm just saying, anytime you take public dollars, if it's 20%, 100%, or whatever, you get questions you wouldn't get otherwise. Sure. So, so I guess the thought would be is, if you avoid that, then you don't have that problem. And, and again, hard time to bring this up, because like I said, the zoo... I mean, well, we had that when we talked to Tom Soft. I mean, he admitted that a couple months ago that, yeah, the monies weren't there. I mean, the pandemic. Now, granted, through summer, they had a system where you can go in the zoo. They had people in the zoo, but it was a lot less emissions. And if you think about it, the zoo gets a lot of their monies. I I mean, I don't think it's all 80% of the others, but the zoo gets a significant part of their budget based on emissions. And yeah. based on health orders and based on the pandemic and everything else, that got cut. But but I guess what I'm saying is long-term-wise, I mean, think of it not just saying how, how can we survive in 2021, but how do we survive in 2051 or 2100 or wh- right, whatever the upcoming right. year is. The thought would be is how do you get a better system and get a better system that it just 
you can make decisions. You know, think about Gannett. Okay, we answer the shareholders. Okay, so yeah, there is a a scrutiny over how Gannett spends their money, but we're not taxpayer funded. So we can make decisions like any other business does. How hey, how do we make the most money and other stuff like that? Right. Well, once you take that public dollars, then those questions come up. And and I don't even think the zoo necessarily is doing anything bad, but the zoo wants to operate like any other business, don't take public dollars. Then well, you can have sweets and you can do all this other stuff that I every just, other company in the world does, you know? Yeah. I mean, it would be one thing if they were only taking like a, a little bit of money. But when you have like 20% of your budget coming from these taxpayer dollars, it's pretty clear to me that they need that money, that without that money, they'd be struggling to some degree. Now, I don't know how much their their expenditures are versus their revenue and, and all that great stuff. But my guess is, is if you have this levy on the ballot, and I don't, rem- I don't know when it passed, but they obviously have levy money coming in, and it's 20% of their budget. To me, that, that screams that they desperately need that money to do the, the, the little things that they do with it. So that's kind of how I look at it. It's easy to say, well, why don't you just forego that money and just be the Columbus Zoo, a private business, and then you can do whatever you want. But I think they need that money. I think that money is important to them. Otherwise, they probably would have gotten gotten away from it whenever they needed to i mean i mean i just don't don't think they can get away from i they need that money that's 20 percent or more of their budget i think they need that money or can you look at based on the fact and say okay (laughs) what if you did 20 percent no no, i get everybody in business are probably screaming us going you idiots why are you saying this but but well, this is a lot of major improvements do you just sit there and say hey if we had 20 percent less maybe we don't do as many major improvements as we had. Well, yeah, but I, you know, I remember the, you know when we were talking about this story the other day. Um, you know, I think they said that their levy money goes to sort of like little—not little things, but you know, it goes to some of the ancillary things, not like the humongous, gigantic projects. Although I'm sure that some of that you know intersects with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, they passed this 10-year renewal levy in 2015. Um, so, and, and it says that in this, this is from the Columbus Zoo's website. It says it provides 25% of the zoo's annual revenue. So, um, you know, that's, and they had a record attendance in this press release they sent on their website of $2.9 million or 2.9 million visitors and increase of more than 475,000 guests, but yet they're still offering the need for this levy. So, you know, it, it doesn't seem like this levy goes to all these humongous improvements. I know they had like feeding animals and, you know, paying some staff members and things like that. But, you know, it's pretty clear to me that they can't get away from this levy because otherwise they probably already would have. Okay. Well, then the zoo's got to really make a decision. It sounds like they're going to have to make that decision between some upset board members at the zoo about what's been happening to a possible investigation by a high ethics commission. They're going to have to really take a look at it and say, okay, if we take public dollars, we got to pair back some of the extras we're doing, a.k.a. Swedes. And I think that's already happened. I, I mean, you know, in the original dispatch story, they're not doing the Swedes anymore and, and other stuff. Well, if you take public dollars, you got to pair back what you're doing. We can still have zoo improvements and everything else, but you got to be careful on, on other things that you're doing that, that's sparking some investigation and controversy. Or you say, hey, we're a zoo. We've done well. 
I mean, I'm sure once the pandemic totally ends, you know, people are going to throng back to zoo. Because it's a great place. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of wonderful things down at the zoo. So I guess the thought would be is either you get paired back and say, all right, calm down some of the extra stuff, calm down the property acquisition, calm down on the suites, calm down on uh, some of the crazy marketing, and we'll take public dollar, public dollars. Or we say, hey, we're going to make it totally private, and we can do whatever the heck we want. Yeah. Well, I'm not critical. I mean, businesses yeah. do that. Good for them if they do. Yeah, that, you know? I mean, they, they've been they've been they've had this levy since 1985, based on what they say here in their in their release, and then um, it basically says that these 18 million dollar a year funds go to for you know go to animal health, nutrition, and staff facility maintenance, improvements and replacements, and local education and animal programs. So, I don't know that you can. Probably, I mean, maybe you can raise prices a little bit, and and it, it'll it'll make itself work. But I, I think that you know they probably could raise prices, but maybe they'd see a reduction in the number of people that come to the zoo. Maybe not by a lot, but if you're raising prices, like you said, by that twenty percent or whatever it may be, your anticipation is that you're either going to stay at the same level of people that visit you, or even increase. But if you don't, then you're going to need the money. You know, you're going to you're going to have a loss of, of that, okay. that money. Well, well, and that's easy. And like I said, I'm not saying necessarily saying you have to raise prices, but what I'm saying is you've got. And when I say you, I'm talking about the zoo. The zoo's got to make a collective decision where they say, "Hey, we're either going to really be super super careful about how we spend our money." which based on the dispatch reporting, based on the fact the Ohio Ethics Commission might jump in, it sounds like they're not completely doing that. I mean, let's be frank. Or you sit there and say, hey, what's wrong with expanding our property? What's wrong with having some live on the property to help improve it? What's wrong with you know having a suite where we can develop partnerships? And there's nothing wrong with that. But the question is, you can't have your cake and eat it too. So I think what the zoo needs to do and I think what the zoo is going to be forced to do, based on the possible Ohio Ethics Commission inquiry, based on the zoo board looking into the matter, they're going to have to make that choice. It's either one or the other. And whatever they choose is fine. I mean, you know, be careful how you spend your money. That's a great decision. Or say, <clears throat> screw it. Let's go totally private. That's a fine decision, too. But you got to choose one, not the other. And it sounds like they've had their legs in both camps, and that's why we're where we are today. Well, I, th- I think a lot of it, a lot of it goes back to like, what's the punishment? Like, is, what, what's going to be the punishment if, in fact, the ethics commissions, o- you know, opens up the an investigation and, and there's wrongdoing? I mean, is there a fine? Is there like a slap on the wrist? Because if that's the case, I'm kind of thinking that the zoo's just going to say, well, well, we'll keep it as is, and we'll just, you know, cl- try to clean up some of those those loose end details, like don't rent houses to your family or don't you know, provide, you know, extra benefits or, you know, secret benefits to your family that other people aren't at, you know, privy to like, you know, tickets or whatever it may be. Um, I don't, I don't know that, you know, you're not going to get shut down for something like this. You may get, you may get fined, I suppose, but at the end of the day is the Columbus zoo really, do they really feel the, the fire to their feet that says we need to become all private or all public or whatever, you know, the 80-20 split or whatever they have right now has been going on since it seems like 1985 when these levies first passed. And, you know, 
it's pretty evident to me that when you have when when your budget is like you know 20 or 25 percent of what you're you know doing is coming from public dollars that tells me that you need that money and you can't live without it that's a lot of that's a huge chunk of a budget when you're talking about even a 90 million dollar budget or whatever their budget is you know you're talking about a pretty substantial chunk of the budget and it goes to you know, yeah, they could. I guess they could get rid of the programming and the local education that they do. I don't know how extensive that is, but you can't really get rid of like, you know, facility maintenance, paying staff, nutrition, and animal health with that money. You well, let's be honest. They lost money with the pandemic. They're not going to willingly give that up. Right. So I, I think what's going to happen would be it's just say, look, whatever comes of this, there's going to be more scrutiny on how they spend their money. Sure. I mean, I'm sure from the Ethics Commission or the Zoo Board or whoever else gets involved. So the thought would be it's just be careful how you spend your money. Then everybody's fine. Yeah. And I'm sure the zoo's going to offer its own solutions to the problem. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't necessarily know if anybody's losing their jobs over this. If, if they do, it's probably based on, hey, someone's got to lose a job. You know, they're, they're told by somebody else right. to make it work. But yeah. you know, let me say this quick because we got two other things to talk about. I wanted to talk about a little bit more about cancel culture tomorrow, and Craig, we'll talk about this after the show. I, I can hear some people saying, "Well, are you guys just trying to cancel the zoo? The zoo's great now." Well, but some people could be saying that it's not cancel culture. It's the zoo needs to make a business decision on what's the best for the zoo. And everything. And we'll talk about this cancer culture doesn't really apply to the zoo, it applies to other things. But I I think it's a question of the zoo's gotta decide what's best for it. And I don't see the zoo willingly give up twenty percent of the budget. So it just says, Hey, if it's a slap on the wrist, if somebody loses their job or whatever the case might be, the thought would be is hey, if you're taking public money, just be a lot more careful about how you spend your, your money. That's it. You, know, you don't have to totally change the focus of the zoo. You don't have to jack up admission rates. You don't have to do all this other stuff. Just be careful. And you know, I can see the zoo being like, well, we didn't know that was a problem. Okay, well, then Ohio Ethics Commission, come in and, and make that clear. I, I mean, I think if we did that, that would be great. So, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I think Craig had a Wi-Fi issue. We just lost him. So, yeah, let's talk a, about a little bit more that's going on. So let me know what you think um, with the zoo um, and what should happen with it. I know we're being a little bit careful and a little bit critical about what's happening, but I think there's got to be scrutiny about how uh, tax dollars are being spent and being used. So, All right. And we got Craig back. Yeah, sorry about that. I got kicked oh, off. No, no worries. Yeah, but yeah, I think in the future, just you know, spend your money more carefully. I think you know we can solve this problem a lot, a lot quicker and easier. I think it'd be good. All right, hey, good conversation. But let's kind of wrap up with a couple of the other quick things that are going on. I thought this was funny, and you know, hey, the fact that Craig's up in the Fremont area, we, we've talked about Jim Jordan a couple times. It's almost, I mean. You know, based on past conversations, we got to bring up Jim Jordan where we can. It's just like SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, uh, Brandon being a crazy author. I mean, you know, sometimes you have to bring up stories just based <laughs> on the fact that certain people are mentioned. Interesting story uh, written by our Statehouse Bureau uh, talking about Jim Jordan and Matt Gatz. Uh, they were talking about Britney Spears and. 
Um, you know, some of the issues brought up by the Framing Britney Spears documentary. I don't know. I thought this was kind of strange. Um, you know, they're talking about conservatorships and Craig, you reviewed, I didn't see the frame of Britney Spears. Are they just talking about the way that her money was being, uh, so, so I guess my understanding is part of the issue of Britney Spears was she set this arrangement with her family where based on some of the money she made, her family was, profiting off that is is that the issue or am i missing well uh you know i think we probably all remember some of the the stuff that britney spears maybe was going through uh, sort of in the early 2000s and you know maybe had that you know where she got her hair shaved and maybe was having some mental health issues and maybe substance abuse issues so what is essentially what happened was her father stepped in and said hey I will step in and handle your finances and handle your life essentially as a conservator, uh, which, you know, in most cases, the conservator handles the life stuff and the, and the finance stuff for elderly people who just are unable to make their own decisions or are just unable to comprehend things. And what happened was her father stepped in to help her out, or at least we thought help her out as her conservator. That way she would, you know, have money and it wouldn't be, you know, it would, it wouldn't be spent on frivolous things and, or, you know, it would, it would just remain in her, you know, she would have, it's her money, but she doesn't really have control over it. Now, one of the interesting things that the documentary points out is that her father and this attorney that's a part of the conservatorship actually had say so in what jobs she took. And this was, you know, this is still going on. And now she's 39 and, you know, she seems to be in okay mental health and, and everything and seems to be able to make her own decisions, but she can't. So essentially her father and this attorney that are the conservators of her have control over her finances and control over uh, her job. So like, let's say her, her dad wants her to go on tour for 400 days in a row. He essentially can do that. Um, as the conservator. So he has control and say so over what she does and does not do. Um, and that's that's going on until right now, as we speak, that is continuing. Now, the, the financial side of things has been remedied a little bit where she was able to get a bank on, on onto her conservatorship. So then that way, maybe she has a little bit more access to the money and it's not being, you know, spent Un, you know, unknowingly or unwillingly uh, by her father or this attorney or anybody else. Um, but yeah, essentially she's in this fight to say, look, I can control myself. I can control my finances. I can make my own decisions of work and, and what I do. Uh, in the documentary, they even mentioned that, you know, her father and the, the conservatorship actually had say so in who visits her at her home. Um, so it was really kind of a, of a scary situation for, uh, you know, you don't really see conservatorships for, for women that are 39 years old who seemingly understand um, that she can handle her own money because usually people don't fight conservatorships. Um, it's maybe a family thing where family fights family over it, but the person who's, you know, being helped with the conservatorship usually isn't able to fight and say, I can handle myself or I can handle my money. She obviously can because she's, you know, a young woman who obviously seems to have her life back on track. 
And that's where sort of this is an interesting fight because conservatorships usually aren't, you know, fought between the person who's being, you know, the conservatee. So it, it's, it's very, uh, it's very interesting, you know, dynamic right now going on. And, you know, you talk about Jim Jordan getting involved. I can't even explain how crazy this is because of all the, of all the people that I would have thought would have gotten involved in the free Britney movement, it probably would not have been Jim Jordan, but you know, he, he seems to be looking at it from a civil rights point of view, um, which it, it, it is, I mean, you know, you could make the argument that Britney Spears is being sort of held against her will, if you will, on this conservatorship and she wants out of it, it seems like, and you know, it's just a sad situation all around. If you watch the documentary, it's a really fascinating look at, you know, sort of her rise and fall, but also, you know, sort of her getting back on track. And now she's in this fight of her life just to get control of her life. I mean, it's an issue. <clears throat> I, uh, you know, look at your own life. You know, you know, hey, you've got things you need to handle. You know I mean? You probably have... You know, when you look at your work, your family, your your friends, whatever the case might be. I guess the question I have is, it's an interesting issue, and yeah, it, it's definitely besieged Britney and besieged other people. I kind of wonder, is is that the biggest issue that we're facing today? I mean, yeah, it, it's an issue, and it's something that, yeah, if Britney was on the program, Britney would be like, yeah, it's a problem. Take take care of them. I'm glad they're taking care of it. it. It just feels like it's a weird fight to be fighting right now. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. There's probably other things that, you know, could be, you know, explored. Uh, but I understand why why these, you know, politicians are getting involved because, at the end of the day, it's it's more of like a constitutional freedom that's, you know, they, and they say it's, you know, given the constitutional, constitutional freedoms at stake, it just happens to be Britney Spears. And, you know, they're getting on the, you know, on the train on this because this is a case that can set precedence for conservatorships in America. And I think that that's kind of why they're on, on board with this. And it just happens to be Britney Spears. So it, it kind of makes for strange bedfellows in this situation, because who would have thought these two guys would have been involved in anything with Britney Spears, but they're looking at it from the, you know, the constitutional freedom side of things in that it's odd that a 39 year old woman would be in a conservatorship anyway, especially one that is, you know, clear mind and able to make her own decisions and able to do things that she's able to do. Uh, because in a lot of ways, you know, during the, the documentary, the argument is, if she's in need of a conservatorship, why is she able to go on dance tours and, and work? You know, normally people in conservatorships are older and they're not able to work and they, they just want to make sure that their money is going to stretch out as long as it can. Well, Britney Spears can be, you know, thrust onto a Las Vegas stage for a residency, you know, 300 days a year or whatever it is. And that's where, that's where it kind of becomes a murky that is this really a needed conservatorship? And I think that's what this fight ultimately is going to be about. Can I be old man for a second? And yeah. let's look at this more broadly. About <laughs> half an hour ago, you were telling me, and yeah, you're going to make some calls, you said, uh, because it's a story that you could write for the paper. But you made your concern because there's an impression that there's 400 vaccines coming each, what, week, you said? Yeah. In St. Dusky County. 
And there's yeah. people who need a vaccine that can't get a vaccine. Now, granted, Jim Jordan can't put out a press release a hundred times a day for everything happening in the world. But, you know, you're going to look into it. Maybe there's a miscommunication between the state and Fremont, which is possible. Mm-hmm. That problem's going on. But the big tweet we see from Jim Jordan is talking about Britney Spears. And, again, I value Britney Spears as a person. I'm not making fun of her or anything else like that. I'm, I just kind of wonder. And, yeah, let's make fun of Jim Jordan for the day. But in politics in general, are, are we missing the big picture? Where, yeah, somebody's got to care about Britney Spears. But right now, if Jim Jordan represents that area, and at least um, Matt Gatz, he's from Florida, right? I mean, at least Brittany lives in well, Florida. I mean, I guess my retort would be this. You know, there are, and I've, and I've done stories on, you know, there are still things that go on in the world other than coronavirus. And we, no, I we, get that. we have to address that. And I, I know that this story is only a story because it's involving Britney Spears. But this is sort of the case precedence that we don't know. I don't know that there are a lot of 39-year-olds or, you know, healthy mind, healthy individuals that have conservatorships against them. And I understand it might say, well, you know, doesn't Jim Jordan and Matt Gatz have, you know, bigger fish to fry? And they probably do. But they're not looking at it like, oh, we want to get on, get in on the free Britney thing. Maybe they kind of are because it's a popular thing. But they're also looking at it from the constitutional freedom perspective, which if you're Jim Jordan or Matt Gatz, especially Jim Jordan, you know, how, how many times did Jim Jordan bring up, you know, violations of constitutional rights and, you know, violating the Constitution during the election season when, you know, election laws were being changed in states and things like that. So this kind of goes, this kind of coincides with some of the stuff that he sort of fights for in in terms of the Constitution. And this is how he sees a conservative, it could be Joe Schmo, you know, in this conservative that's 39 years old and just a random, random person. It just so happens to be Britney Spears, which means it's a story, which means it, it sees the light of day. Yeah, and that, that was the only reason why it sold the last day. I mean, believe me, I was in the editorial meetings where it came up saying, oh, you know, mm-hmm. Jim Jordan's getting involved in this Britney Spears movement. Oh, okay, that's a story. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't have been a story of Jim Trump because obviously all these politicians do stuff behind the scenes that, you know, there's not enough newspaper newspaper print to, right. and there's not enough reporters to cover everything they're doing. I, I, th- I thought it was interesting. It, it's got some interest to me, not just from the Britney Spears or not. I mean, I've got two kids, and I'll be honest, and I probably shouldn't be saying this publicly, but you know, whenever you have a special needs kids, a lot of parents kind of look at it and say, can, you know, can they be on their own at 18? They may not be able to. And, you right. know, th- there's a legal process that you have to go to as, for as a parent that when you say, hey, you know, we need to watch the kid. And, and, and a lot of times the court has to step in and say that. Now, I know that's a little bit different than conservatorships. I mean, it's more of, hey, we need to take care of the kid. But th- there's a lot of the same issues there. What if the 18-year-old says, hey, I want to go out my own? You know, yeah, it's not like the kid's going to become Britney Spears. But still, there is – it's it's a murky issue. And, yeah, it's, it's a problem. So it's a good thing that Congress is kind of going after it. I, I just, I don't know. There was a, uh, in the video that made it to rounds yesterday where uh, Tim Ryan, and I'm not a huge Tim Ryan guy. I mean, he's from 
the Youngstown area, he started screaming about some workers' rights bill. And he was saying, why are we just talking about Dr. Seuss being canceled? And why aren't we talking more about this? Right. And, you know, I, I see both sides of it. And, yeah, it's an issue that's coming up. I, I'm kind of – I always debate, Craig, anymore about politics. What's political and what's not? Where I, I used to think of politics that you represent your area. I brought up on the the show a couple weeks ago, Ralph Regula. You might be like, who the heck's Ralph Regula? Well, he was a congressman for 30 years. And yeah, he held a lot of power behind the scenes, but he mostly cared about his area. You know, I mean, he wasn't thrusting himself into the, the Britney Spears or whatever the big pop culture stroke today was. He just said, hey, and, you know, it helped the area. I mean, Stark County at the time, Ralph Regula got tons and tons of money because he fought for that. And yeah, you would never see Ralph Regula run for president and everything else, but yeah, I, I don't know. Craig, I'm old school. I, I'm to that point where I'm saying, hey, represent your area. Yeah, stick your nose in if you need to on other places. But I want to know Jim Jordan for what he does for the area. Well, you know yeah, I, mean? I mean, I understand where you're coming from. I think the counter, the counter to that is you know, especially as a congressman, you know, yeah, the area is important to him, but he also represents essentially the country and, and things that are enacted that go countrywide. Right. And just imagine this, though. Let, let's say he dips his toe into this conservatorship issue and years down the line, there's someone in Fremont, Ohio, that's 35 years old and then was some for some reason on a conservatorship. Now there's precedence in this kind of situation with this Britney Spears case that could be going forward where maybe a Fremonter or maybe someone from his hometown or maybe someone in Ohio is benefited because these two guys got involved in the Britney Spears thing. I'm not saying that that's going to happen. That can be that can sort of be a stretch, but you just never know how you know, impactful, uh, something like this can be. And I know that it's, it's weird because it's Britney Spears and it's like, why should Jim Jordan care about Britney Spears or even know who Britney Spears is? But he's also kind of looking at it from, this is the kind of case while popular could also set precedence in our country for how conservatorships are run or, or when, when, when is enough enough with a conservatorship? If someone who, you know, is is in that conservatorship says, I don't want to be in it anymore. So, you know, the, the, I think that's how he's kind of looking at it, along with maybe getting all the PR that comes with, you know, the Britney Spears stuff. But it just it's just a strange bedfellow thing. But it also makes some sense from the constitutional freedoms perspective. Well, let's do this. Do me a favor. And sorry, I'm I'm not talking like your editor when <laughs> it should be your real editor. Do me a favor. If you pursue the story about you know, Sandusky County's lack of vaccine. Call Jim Jordan's office. I'm not saying you're going to get him on the phone right away. But yeah. ask for a quote. You know, hey, and, and let me know how quick to get back to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it, it was good. And you know how it goes. I mean, Jim Jordan's not going to rush to the phone and say, hey, Craig, let's talk about this. But see how quick you can get a quote. And the quote's going to come from his legislative aide, you know, talking to Jim yeah. Jordan's voice. Right. Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious. Prove me wrong. You know what I mean? You know, call his office and see how quick he get a quote back. You know what I mean? And, and hey, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I'm just sitting here going, come on. You know, 
it's something fun that we can yell about in Fox News. I, I, I I'm jaded. I, I, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. And well, I, you, you could say that about Jim Jordan. You could probably say that about most legislator in Washington right now. I'll put that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't any ulterior motives to this, and and it's not that. I don't think he is, like, going to be the champion for the crusade to save Britney Spears. I just feel like he looks at this as an opportunity maybe to step in on a constitutional freedom thing, which he's in the Freedom Caucus. He made arguments throughout the last several months about, you know, constitutional you know, rights and and how the election maybe was fraudulent because it violates the constitution. So I'm not surprised that he jumps in on this. I'm maybe a little bit surprised that he's one of the first, but I'm not surprised that he would jump at the opportunity to wrong or to right a wrong that he believes is there from the constitution's perspective, because I think that's how he looks at it. He looks at it as, well, this is a constitutional issue and I could be one of these first people that spearheaded this change in, you know, that, you know, it's, I'm not saying it's like a Roe v. Wade kind of thing, but he looks at it like this could change the way we look at conservatorships forever once this is settled out or once, you know, a decision okay. is made. You know, maybe he looks at it like that. And, he, and, you know, when you're a champion for the Constitution, like he says he is, you can't really be surprised when he gets involved on something even as weird as this when it involves the Constitution and freedoms that come along with that. Well, I'm not surprised at all. I'm just saying that test that I asked you about was, hey, that's a story. I mean, if Sandusky County only has 400 vaccines a week, and if people are saying, hey, I missed it the first time, why am I having to wait till July for a vaccine? Right. Okay, that's a constitutional issue. I mean, if well, I'm it's, so I'm just curious to see whenever you write that story, and obviously you got other stuff to do, so I'm not saying the story is going to be posted by noon or something. But what yeah. I'm saying is, whenever you get that story, I'm, I'm curious to see how Jim Jordan responds to that. Because well, if it's on brand, he should begin back home and write and say, "Man, that's an outrage. We're going to do whatever we can to fix it." Right. I look at it this way, though, and I and I'm not naive to think that Fremont and Sadusky County are the only places that are not getting enough vaccinations. I think, you know, it's easy to blame Jim Jordan or anybody in the House or the Senate that says, well, why is the rollout so slow? Well, you know, you got to remember, too, they're not making the vaccine either. They're only getting the vaccine and the doses they get, and they dole them out to the states, and the states dole them out to the, the cities and the counties. So I don't know if we can hang that on the, the federal government that no, I'm really, not hanging in on the federal well, government. But you know, you're at least talk about it. Right. But you, you were you also saying too that, you know, why is he getting involved in Britney Spears when there's bigger fish to fry, which there are. We all know that. But the job doesn't stop just because coronavirus is on is ongoing or okay. just because the vaccine is out there. They still have committee meetings. They still have um, other things. I mean they're you know this, they're going through confirmation for you know cabinet members. So it's not like everybody just says, well, it's it's coronavirus. We have to drop everything for the next 12 months. You know, they still have things that they have to do. They still have things going on. I've, I've got stories on even the local health departments. You know, they didn't stop child vaccinations last year because of COVID. They right. knew that they needed to because they didn't want to have a measles outbreak. But when you uh, talk about what stories hit the press, you're trying to win the argument on Fox News. You're trying to win the argument on the MSNBC programs and everything. Because you know, when, and again, 
Bravo to Jim Jordan. Honestly, with special needs kids, conservatorships become a big issue. Right. But in terms of public opinion, when you attach yourself to anything Britney Spears, especially after framing Britney Spears, which is on TV, it's going to get some attention, which is fine. I'm just saying, and again, it could easily be proven wrong because I'm sure Jim Jordan would jump at the chance of telling his aide to write a quote for you about the vaccine issue. So what I'm saying is I'm saying prove me wrong, which hopefully I'll be proven wrong. I'm not saying he's going to ignore you or anything. But I guess what I'm saying is I'm not hanging this on Jim Jordan or Biden or anything else. And yes, there are other things that have to be done. But all of this stuff can get opened up by more vaccines. How, How do we push to solve some of these problems? And granted, there's other stuff we talk about during the day. There's other stuff they do during the day. But what I'm saying is if you talk about political points, which I, I tell you, 95% of this crap is about scoring political points, you would think Jim Jordan's all over this. You'd think of, oh, man, when Donald Trump was the president, we had this expedient rollout. Now we don't have a rollout. You know what I mean? Well, and, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I just feel like, again, it goes back to the, the bigger point of, yeah, you would love to have everybody beating the desk until the, the sun goes down every day saying, well, where's the vaccines? Where you know, Let's roll them out. Let's get everybody a shot. There are some people that don't care about the vaccine, and there are some people that, you know, they just don't have any control over it. They get the vaccine from Pfizer and Johnson and & Johnson and Moderna, and what they get is what they get. I don't know that they're not getting enough or that they're getting the right amount, but all I, all I know is that in Sandusky County, we, we don't have a shot for every arm, and I know that we're not the only county in Ohio or in the country that doesn't, but at the end of the day, some people prioritize other things and maybe for Jim Jordan, the vaccine isn't a huge priority, although, you know, I'm sure to some degree it may be, but especially for constituents that want the vaccine in his, you know, in his area. But for him, he looks at this, I think, as a, as a way of of getting on a, a crusade to help constitutional rights. And that's just as important and he's made that more. He's made the constitutional rights and freedoms more important than almost anything. And he believes this is maybe a violation of that. And that's why he's jumping on it. It just happens to be attached to Britney Spears because I don't know that there are other conservatorship, you know, other conservatorships out there that involve 39 year old people or or whatever it may be that are in good health and good, you know, good mental condition. And again, that's that's a problem. Yeah, and, and yeah, I, I can feel for Britney Spears. I feel for how this might affect the special needs. I care about that. Again, I'm I'm just saying, show that there's stuff in your region that's a problem. I mean, Craig, you did a good job of convincing me. I did not think anything of the lack of of vaccine in Sandusky County. You did a great job of proving it to me. You know, and that tells you you're effective what you do. But what I'm saying is. I'm just curious what the Jim Jordan response to that. And like yeah. I said, prove me wrong. I'm not just telling you what to do, but I'm saying with Jim Jordan, I want to hear what he has to say about that because that's a problem. You show me. That's a problem. Uh, it's something as a reporter you're going to take a look at. And I want to hear what Jim Jordan has to say about that. And then that makes it – that makes his interest in this thing make a lot more sense. Because, again, I'm old school. If, if I'm in Congress representing Cleveland – yeah, I can talk about other stuff. I can have comments on the president. I can have comments on Britney Spears, but I want to represent Cleveland. I'm just curious to see how he reacts. I guess we'll leave it at that. 
All right, let's get – we're going over, and I don't want to go too much longer, <clears> but I want to mention this at least. Uh, there was a fun story in the Cincinnati Inquirer. And I'm not saying fun, but it's kind of unique. It's kind of different. Um, in the north side of Cincinnati, there is a um, Karen Cole. It's the Cincinnati Region Nonprofit HIV and AIDS Service Organization. What they're doing is they have a unique vending machine where instead of, you know, chips or candy bars, they have, um, you know, things for safe sex, safer smoking, uh, and safer uh, drug injection kits. And you might be like, what is going on here? Well, in this, um, you know, vending machine, and we got the link on the website, you have ways of this, and I'm, I'm losing this a little bit, Craig. Help me out here. Uh, there's pregnancy tests. Narcan, uh, some <clears throat> personal protective equipment, band-aids, uh, safe yeah. strip containers. Um, it, it, so, again, instead of getting candy bars and everything, you're getting things for, you know, condoms, you, you know, stuff for, you know, to fight HIV, to fight drug abuse and everything else. And, right. and it's just kind of a symbolic way of saying, hey, here's a place that you can get that stuff if maybe you don't have the money or maybe you don't have the capability of getting that stuff. I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. I'm not sure if that'll work in all areas, but I think it's kind of a different way of looking at. Yeah, I mean, you know, clearly they've they've felt like there's a need for some of this stuff, whether it is something as simple as a condom or maybe PPP. Uh, you know, they have personal protective equipment. Um, you know, I, I just kind of feel like you know these things are 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 not a bad thing for. I know some people might say, like, are you promoting drug abuse when you have Narcan or you, you encourage more, um, you know, safer practices when you're shooting up drugs? But at the end of the day, the way I look at it is it's happening. And there, if there's a way to help prevent death, that's the best thing to do is either have Narcan available to everybody, which is, you know, you can get Narcan almost everywhere and, you know, all almost every law enforcement and and, and you know, anybody on the front lines has Narcan on them. But, you know, this is just another step for, you know, providing as much safety as possible, understanding that, you know, people make certain choices, whether it's to have, you know, unprotected sex or whether it's to, you know, to, to do drugs and, and maybe have a desire to, to need Narcan for it just to just in case. And then also pregnancy tests are in this and, you know, other things like that from based on what you're seeing with the picture. So, I don't see a, a, a down. I don't see a downside to it. I mean, I don't think it's like a way of promoting anything. It's just promoting safety. Well, and Suzanne uh, Backmeyer, uh, she's a Caracol Associate Director of Prevention down there in Cincinnati. Uh, she has a quote, and this is according to Cincinnati Inquirer story, where she says, "Not everyone can make it to safe syringe services. Not everyone is comfortable meeting someone face to face. So, you know, it's easy for some people to look at and say." Oh, I wouldn't do it this way. And it is different. I'll, I'll give you that. But again, if you got to find different ways of, of reaching different people. Yeah. I, I guess that's probably the most simplest way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Craig, well, Craig this has been great. We've gone long, but hey, we've had good conversations. And I like this. We disagree on stuff, which is fantastic. It's a lot better than us saying, man, great idea, Craig. And you say, great idea, Chris. I mean, it's good to have some difference of opinion. Uh, interesting to see what happens with the zoo. Interesting to see what happens with Jim Jordan. Again, uh, I'm sure I'm going to get pegged as 
you know, one political party over the other. I'm not, I get disturbed Republican and Democrat where people really come out and say certain things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think Jim Jordan has been guilty of that. I think there's been definitely a lot of people on the Democratic side, too, that have been guilty of that. And, you know, I, I mentioned Jim Jordan because we're in Ohio, and we're supposed to talk about Ohio stuff. Sure. So Jim Jordan's under scrutiny, but sadly there's a lot of politicians out there that should face the same scrutiny. So yeah. I, I'm sure on the Californian podcast or the North Dakotan <laughs> or yeah. the other – that's what we should start, Craig. Man, what an idea. Maybe we, as we get bigger, we should start a podcast that works in each state. Man, yeah. I just came up with that. We're going to be millionaires. It'll be great. Uh, tomorrow, and, and Craig, uh, let's talk briefly after the show about this. Uh, we're, we're recording two smaller shows, one for Thursday, one for Friday. I'm Let's on Thursday... I want a single subject show, unless something horrible happens that we need to talk about. Let's talk about the cancel culture. Um, I've seen this a lot more in co- comments. Uh, people are freaked out about Pepe Le Pew, and, which I'm sad because I'm, I'm a Pew. But um, I, I got some ideas on it, and I'm not going to sit here and yell about how can- cancel culture is right or wrong. I think there's a, a medium ground. I think it's a lot of money focus and politics focus. I think it's less about the out, legitimate outrage. It's more about what outrage can you generate to help your political side. And I think from the company sense, I don't think companies truly care about a morality of what's right or wrong. I think it's more of what helps them most financially. But I think we, we get stuck in the middle. We're all ticked off when Pepe Le Pew gets canceled or you know, Dr. Seuss gets canceled where we fall right into the trap. Um, so, yeah, we'll talk more about that tomorrow. And then also we're going to record – what were we talking about for Friday? Musicians, I think? Yeah, either that or athletes or yeah, something something like that. You know what? Let's do athletes this week. So this week we're going to rank the top five Ohioans – people born in Ohio, would you say? Or – or, or, Maybe born or made a contribution to Ohio athletics, possibly. I mean, let's say, but let's say make a contribution because if we have born, we're going to have to investigate where all these athletes are born. Because we we found this week in the All Star game, you you know, we talked about how, you know, LeBron James is just that kid from Akron. Well, you know, Stephon Curry was born, or Steph Curry was born in Akron, too. So, you know, I think LeBron was better than Curry. But, you know, what I'm saying is if we're investigating everybody born in Ohio, that might be a little bit too much work. So let's say Ohio athletes that are best known for what they did in Ohio. So it could be some dude born in California that had a great career in Ohio. Sure. So I I think that will be easier to research. We don't have to take quite as long to do that. All right. Well, thank you for checking out the Ohio in the Super Size Edition. Hey, don't say we don't provide for you. We provide for you. It's great. Oh, well, again, check out our sponsors. We even talked about the other shows coming out today. Um, check our podcast feed. Please subscribe because we'll drop all the podcasts in there right away. Uh, but on our blog, we got a lot of stuff. Uh, Craig, let me mention it real quick. I feel weird not mentioning it. Um. Yeah, you can see our Tom and Jerry podcast. Uh, Talk to Bob Garver, and Bob wasn't happy about Tom and Jerry. So there's nothing better than a grumpy Bob. I, I want to do a podcast with Bob Garver where Bob just gripes about stuff. It could be yeah. movies, 
It could be about anything else. A, a grumpy Bob's a fun Bob. That's what I say. So Bob rants about Tom and Jerry, and also our Steelers podcast, where honestly there's not much going on, but we update you on um, JJ not going to the Steelers, and we update about Big Ben getting the contract, yeah. and then we pretty much made fun of Juju Smith-Schuster because he wants to save for the Steelers, but the Steelers don't have money to pay him with their salary cap situation, so <laughs> Yeah. We kind of joked about how Juju's going to have to make the literal minimum wage. I mean, he's going to have to earn <laughs> seven eighty uh, hour to play for the Steelers next year if there's any way he's going to play for the Steelers because they don't have money. So yeah. if you're interested in that stuff, check out the Steelers podcast. Well, for Craig, this is Chris. Uh, Brandon, um, keep in your thoughts. There was a death in the family. Um, so keep the family in your thoughts and prayers. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye.